Today we're continuing the series that we started a few weeks ago, a series called New. And if you were here with us when Dave kicked it off, you know that we are looking at this, this series from the perspective of understanding that at the beginning of a new year, we're all thinking about some changes that we could make. We have a clean slate. We have an opportunity to do some things that maybe we haven't yet done in our lives. And, um, and, and so we set goals at this time of year. And, and so for a biblical foundation for this series, we were looking at the story of the Exodus, which if you know a lot about the Bible, you kind of know what that means when I say it. If you don't, that's fine. Let me just kind of give you an idea of where, where we are with this. The people of Israel were chosen by God to be his special people through whom he would reveal his goodness, his grace, his love, and his salvation to the world. And so he chooses this group of people, and through a series of circumstances, they end up having to leave their homeland and go to a different country, the land of Egypt. And while they're in Egypt, things start out well for them, but over time, they become oppressed, they become um, They're put under the the yoke of slavery because they have grown so powerful, so numerous, and the, the king that was around at that time felt threatened by them. So eventually they became slaves. When they began crying out and saying, God, deliver us, God, deliver us, God heard their cries and he sent a deliverer, and then it began this dramatic series of events where God was leading them out of this life that they had all been born into, So none of them knew what it was like to be free. None of them knew what it was like to worship God in in their own way. They had always been under the rule of the Egyptians, and now God is taking them out from that to start something new with them. And so as Dave talked about a couple weeks ago, he had to start by giving them a new mindset. Because as you can imagine, people who have been raised in slavery think as slaves, People who, uh, you know, they have to learn how to think as free people. They have to learn how to think as people who are free to worship God in this new way. And so what God does in this this series of events, and we read about it in the, the biblical book called Exodus, is God is doing these miraculous things over and over and over as he's leading them out so that he can show them who they are and who he is in, in essence. And so a couple weeks ago, Dave talked about the new mindset. They had to begin to think differently. And this, way, this week, we're going to talk about a new way to overcome. Now... I don't think I'm um, stepping out on a limb. I don't think I'm leaving anyone out when I make this assertion here this morning that every one of us here this morning has faced adversity in our lives. Am I right? Every one of us has faced opposition. We've faced hardship. We've faced heartache. We've been misunderstood. Every one of us has done things that we wish we hadn't done that led to negative circumstances that we then had to deal with. Every one of us has had to face adversity. And, and it goes right along with what Jesus said a few centuries after the story we're going to look at here. He said to his followers in the New Testament, he said, in this world, you will face troubles. Okay? In this world, you will face troubles. This is Jesus, the Son of God, declaring that in this world, you're going you're gonna to face some hardship. But that's not where he leaves it. And then he's like, so good luck, you know? And then he's like walking away. He goes, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. So here's what, I, here's what I understand from Jesus when he says that. In this world, I'm gonna face troubles. All right, so I've got a choice to make. Either A, I can be a victim, a victim of my circumstances, 
and I can succumb to them and I can feel defeated and live a lesser life or I can be a victor. I can be an overcomer. I can learn uh, you know, how through God's grace, through God's uh, life, how I can overcome the adversity that will inevitably come <clears throat> into my life. Now, if you think about this from just a, a natural perspective, how do you overcome? How do you win? How do you be a victor? Um, you know, if, if you put it in the arena of sports, you've got to understand that there, there are, you know, you've got to be better than your opponent, which is my prayer. You guys can all join me in prayer as I pray for my chiefs um, later <laughs> this afternoon. They're going to be facing off against the evil empire in the AFC championship. So I'm not too worried, though. I do have my lucky chief socks on. I don't know if you can see that. So we're going to, I think they're going to be all right. Um, so, so in the, in the world of sports, you've got, thank you. Well, I've got one. Am I, do I sound that hoarse? Yeah, I do. I must sound bad. I apologize if I sound raspy. There we go. Thank you. In the world of sports, you've got to learn how to overcome your opponent. So we have this gentleman here in the church who is a, uh, uh, coach and a trainer for mixed martial arts, um, you know, for combatants and stuff. And so I, I reached out to him and I just said, Hey Ryan, um, tell me what are the things that you train your fighters to do before they get into the ring? You know, if, if you're preparing them to begin to face an opponent, what are the things that you do? And he said, well, obviously the first step is physical training. You've got to be in top physical shape. You've got to be able to, um, you know, it's all about power. It's about speed. It's about endurance. It's about technique. All of those things, muscle memory, you've got to figure out, you know, how to, to get in top physical shape. So you have to be physically stronger. But he said, but it's not just that. A lot of it is the mental side of it. And then he sent me this long list, this, this document that he goes over with his students that he coaches them on that every one of them has to kind of think through. It's things like getting rid of negative self-talk and, and things like visualizing you know, themselves in that situation. And there were more things there. But his point was, it's not just physical, but it's, it's not just physical, but it's mental as well. You've got to be in top condition and you've got to be stronger and you've got to be better prepared than your opponent. And so that's true in just about every arena when it comes to, um, to overcoming. You've got to be physically better. You've got to be mentally better. And that's what makes you the overcomer. Now, let's look at this from the perspective of these ancient people, the Israelites, all right? Physically, they were at a disadvantage because as, as we look into the story that we're going to look in at here in just a moment, they are about to face this, this opponent that was stronger than them, presumably stronger than them. And I'll tell you a little bit why that's the case. Um, you can assume, you can understand that, you know, maybe if the Israelites were raised as slaves, they probably didn't have a ton of experience in going into battle facing off against opponents, did they? Now, maybe the Egyptians brought them into battle just to, you know, to be the front lines people or whatever, but obviously that wouldn't have lasted long and some of those people wouldn't have come out of that, right? So they wouldn't have had a ton of experience there and they had zero experience, again, presumably, with battle plans and strategy because they had never been given that responsibility as slaves, and so in Exodus chapter 17, the people of Israel had already gone through numerous, numerous uh, events where, where there was this impossible opponent in front of them. One time it was the nation of Egypt, the most powerful 
world power at that time, the Egyptians. And, and the Israelites, these slave people, are going to come up against them and say, hey, we went out of here, and we're going to go whether you like it or not kind of thing. And, and so they've got that opponent. Later on, they've got this, uh, this impossible, adverse situation where they have the Red Sea in front of them, and their enemies chasing them, and they have to figure out, what are we going to do? We're trapped, you know? And, and over and over, God comes through in a miraculous way, showing them... Two things. This is what God does when he continues to, to work in their lives. He's, he shows them, number one, that his presence was with them and his power was for them. All right? God shows them over and over through these adverse circumstances that his presence was with them and his power was for them. All right? So here they are facing off against this opponent in, um, in Exodus chapter 17, the Amalekites. And the Amalekites had been battle-tested. The Amalekites, as you can understand, the, the mode of that day was that people were, either, people, were, people were either warriors or they were slaves. That's kind of the way it went. People would, and, and here the Amalekites are living in this area, and the Israelites are new to the area, and they're marching in. They're like, hey, we just left that place, and we're trying to figure, find our way to our home. And the Amalekites feel threatened by their presence. And so you better believe, especially with what was going on in the world at this time, that the whole objective when this new group of people comes in is, number one, we're going to show them who's boss. Number two, we're going to take anything of theirs that is worth anything. And number three, we're going to get some slaves out of this. We're going to put them back under the yoke of slavery that they just came out from. And so the Amalekites had been battle-tested, they had uh, thought through battle strategies. They had thought through, um, you, know, uh, you know, how to make adjustments in the middle of a battle when things may not be going their way. And the Israelites had none of that experience. I mean, this is like, to put it, you know, in our terms, this is like Conor McGregor in the ring up against me, okay? It's not a fair fight for him. I mean, for him, for me, I'm going to get beat up. <laughs> I was getting a little arrogant there. Um, he, he would destroy me is what I'm trying to say. So here they are faced with this problem. This problem is up against them and, and their strength is a problem. They're not as strong. Their might is a problem. They're not as mighty. Their, their, their intellect, their ability to strategize, it's all lesser. So you can see the Amalekites have the upper hand. They have the advantage. And here they come to attack Israel. Let's look at it. Exodus 17, starting in verse eight. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. And tomorrow, I will stand on top of that hill, holding my staff, the, the staff of God, in my hand. And so Joshua did what Moses had commanded him, and he went and fought the army of Amalek. All right. Now, I know that there are many of you in this room who know this story. You've heard it. You've heard preachers preach on it, you've done Bible study on it, you've read it, you've done your own, uh, you know, study into it, and so I know you know where this is going, but I'm going to ask you, I want to challenge you to not think through that lens of somebody who knows where this goes. I want to try, I want to challenge you to put yourself there that day, as if you're one of the elders of Israel sitting in camp with Moses and Aaron, his right-hand man, and Joshua, the general of the army, and her, one of the other elders, and some other men and women that would have been gathered around, and, and, and Moses is sitting at the forefront, and, and all of us as elders of Israel are sitting there. Okay, what's going to happen? 
We know we're at a disadvantage. We know these people know what they're doing. We know this is the first battle Israel ever faced as free people. Do you understand that? This is the first uh, adverse situation of this type. They'd never done this before. And they had lived all their lives as slaves. So they didn't know what any, anything was like from beforehand. So here we are in camp. And somebody in the camp speaks up and says, hey, Moses, uh, as you can see, the armies of Amalek are, are lined up against us. They're ready to go to war. You're our leader. What's the plan? And Moses says, all right, guys, I've been giving this a lot of thought. I think this is what we need to do, all right? All right, Joshua, you're the general. You take the army. You go down there in the valley. You fight. And me and these other guys, we're going to go up on top of that hill over there where it's real safe, far away from the battlefield, and I'm going to hold up a stick in the air, all right? All right, everyone, you guys understand your part? One, two, three, break, you know? It's like, everyone's like kicked back, like, has this guy, has this guy lost it? You know, this is the dumbest battle strategy ever. We're going to go fight. You're going to hold a stick up in the air. Yay, stick, right? And it seems like this ridiculous battle plan. It seems like it makes no sense. It seems like, my goodness, Moses, you, you were a good leader for us, but yeah, I think your day has come. This is terrible. Let's pick somebody else to tell us the strategy. But, he, but if you understand what Moses is doing, and if you understand the significance of the stick, the staff of God, you will understand that this wasn't such a ridiculous plan after all. Let's look for just a moment at what this staff was. It comes into existence um, uh, a few years before this. It, come, it becomes the thing. It becomes a significant player in the story of God. Some of you who know Moses' story know this. He spent the first third of his life as a, a free man in Egypt. He was essentially an adopted son of the Pharaoh. So even though he was a Hebrew, he was not a slave. But he knew he was a Hebrew. He knew that those were his brothers and sisters out there being oppressed and beaten and all of this. And one day, Moses observes one of his fellow Hebrews being beaten by an Egyptian slave driver. And so Moses loses it. <laughs> And he goes over there and he goes Conor McGregor on this guy and he takes him out and he kills the man and he beats him. You know, maybe he grabs a stone and he's just beating him and he kills the guy and, and uh, then he realizes after his adrenaline calms down, he's like, oh no, what have I done? Moses flees because he knows he will be killed you know, as punishment for his crime if he doesn't. So Moses jets it out of there and he's gone. In the second third of his life, Moses lives in exile, far away from Egypt, far away from the people. He, he starts his own life there. He starts his own family, his own business. He becomes a, a shepherd, a very humble, normal, common, ordinary life he lives out in the wilderness. And while he's there as a shepherd, one day, He's walking around with his shepherd's staff, very common shepherd's staff. It would have been used to redirect his sheep and to, uh, to ward off any predators, right? And he's standing there, and, he, and, and he's uh, just kind of paying attention to his sheep as they're grazing in front of him. And he looks up, and in the distance, he sees something he's never seen before out in this part. He sees a, a bush that is burning, but is not being consumed, now, if I saw that, I, I would think that was pretty cool too. And that's what Moses thought. He thinks, my goodness, what in the world is it? It's not even burning that thing up. Like, I gotta go check this out. So he goes over there. And, and if you know the story, you know that this was God getting his attention. And God speaks to him from this bush and says, Moses, I've heard the cries of your, our, my people in, Israel, in Egypt and I want to deliver them. And Moses says, yay, God, you know, that sounds like a good plan. And then God says, and I'm gonna use you to be the voice, to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And, and that's when Moses kind of 
wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. I, I don't think so. I, I can't do that. I, I'm just a shepherd. I, 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 I'm a wanted man. I'm a fugitive. I go back there. I may end up in prison. I can't do that, God. You know that. And, and then he says, and besides God, how will I know that you are even with me? If I'm going to put myself out there, how will I know that you're going to go with me and you're going to do the work and I'll just be your voice, you know? And God says this. He says, Moses, throw your staff on the ground, this staff that he'd been moving the sheep around with. Throw it on the ground. And Moses, all right, right, throws it on the ground. And instantly it starts writhing and wiggling and it becomes a snake. And Moses freaks out as any of us would. And he runs and hides and he's afraid of it. And God says to him from that burning bush, he says, Moses, pick it back up. So he, he creeps back over there and he waits for the right moment. He grabs it by the tail and he picks it up and it becomes a staff again. This is miracle number one with this staff. And it's the sign that God uses to show Moses that I will be with you when you go into Egypt. I will be with you when you stand before Pharaoh. I will, I will, my power will be for you as you go up against this impossible situation. And so this is the first time of many that God performs a miracle through this common, ordinary shepherd's staff that sits in Moses' hand. Another time uh, in the 10 plagues of Egypt, if you, you know, know that story, there were times where Moses, you know, that where it was the staff of God, when it was, it was struck in some manner, that the, that the, um, the uh, miracle would begin. Um, when, as I referenced a moment ago, when they were up against the Red Sea and the Egyptians were coming up behind them, ready to take them back into slavery, and they're freaking out, thinking, this is it, this is how we all die, this is, we're gonna go back to slavery. And, and God tells Moses, raise the staff over the water, and he raises the staff over the water, and the waters part, and they go through on dry ground. And, and Dave talked about it a few weeks ago. There, there was a time where they were out in the wilderness and they were thirsty. There was no water for them and it was dry. And God says to Moses, strike that rock with your staff. And he strikes it and water gushes out. Over and over and over, God uses this stick as a symbol that his presence is with the people and his power is for the people. So when Moses holds up the staff over the battlefield, in essence, what he's doing is he's in a visible spot where all the soldiers are down in the valley, and they're sitting there, and they're swinging their swords, and they're blocking the, 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 you know, the counterattack, all that kind of thing, and they're doing their thing, and whenever they grow weary, and whenever they forget, and whenever they wonder, why in the world are we facing these guys? They're bigger, they're stronger, they're better. They can look up, and they see that they're the leader holding up this staff, which is a reminder to them that God's presence is with them as they swing those swords, and God's power is for them as they fight their enemy. So how did the strategy work? Let's take a look. Some of you, again, you know the story, but let's continue on. Verse 10, meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill, and as long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever the staff of God, whenever he dropped his hands, the Amalekites gained the advantage. This is interesting. This is the most bizarre, one of the, I mean, there are a lot of bizarre strategies when it, that God used in the Old Testament when he was, you know, showing um, his people how, how powerful he was and how he was gonna fight with them and for them. But every time Moses holds up his, his staff, there's, there's victory for the, his people. And every time he lowers his staff, and th- what this shows us 
is that God's presence being elevated over this problem, God's power being elevated over this problem was exactly what they needed to overcome this impossible situation. Now let's get personal for a moment. Have you ever faced a consistent problem that just seems to keep rearing its ugly head and it just seems to be kicking your tail? Have you ever faced something that, you know, maybe it's a, 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 maybe it's a health problem that just hasn't seemed to have gone away? Maybe it's a financial burden that just, just destroying you and your confidence. And, and maybe it's a, an addiction. Maybe it's some kind of problem that you've tried to kick for some time. Something maybe one of your loved ones is dealing with and it's just destroying you. And we've all faced those things, right? We've all dealt with those consistent things that keep coming back. There are some days in my experience where I face those, those problems that I have and I come against them and I wake up in the morning and I say, God, I believe your presence is for me. I believe your power, uh, your presence is with me. Your power is for me. I believe this and I'm gonna stand up against this problem. You know, I, I, maybe I was, we had a great time in worship here at Connect and I, and I just feel ready to face it. Oh, I heard a great message. Maybe sometimes it's just my own personal Bible study. Maybe it was an encouraging word from a friend, but something has inspired me and motivated me to step up and face this problem with resolve. And then there are days where I wake up in the morning and I'm like, not again. Not again. I can't face this again. I can't face this same issue today. God, I, I'm so weary. I, I don't want to deal with this again. So what happens when we inevitably grow weary and have that thought that we don't want to do this any longer? Verse 12, Moses' arms soon became so tired that he could no longer hold them up. And so Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on, and they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. And so his hands held steady until sunset with the help of his friends, right? The song, right? Um, As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the uh, the army of Amalek in battle. Now understand, this was not a likely outcome. This was a severe, this, they were the underdogs, you know, big time underdogs, like 1% chance of, of going on to the next round kind of thing. But they won through the power of God on display in this way. So listen, I want to tell you this morning, if you face those, those consistent battles and you grow weary, number one, I want to tell you, don't feel condemned by that. Uh, there is an enemy of your soul who wants you to feel like every time you lose hope, you disappoint God and, and you should be ashamed of yourself. There is an enemy who f- wants you to believe that. But here's the truth. God is for you even when you're not for yourself. <laughs> God is for you even when you don't have the faith to, to pick up and to, to go down and deal with the, the battle yourself. We all get to this point. We all get weary in my experience, just recently, not too long ago, I was going through something that just kept coming up in our lives and just kept coming up in our family. And I was becoming discouraged by it. And I was becoming depressed by it. And I was becoming uh, angry with myself and angry with this situation. And I was dealing with this and I felt just so frustrated. And there was one day where I was just like ready to give up. And I was like, that's it. I can't deal with this anymore. This is too much. 
And <laughs> in that moment, you know, uh, I'm, I can say now I am thankful that I had a wife at my side, my wife Jessica, who was able to be strong for me when I couldn't be strong myself. You know, for the first 18, we, we will be married 20 years here this July, so we've been married a long, long time. But the first 18 years, whenever I would feel upset, she would take it personally. Whenever she would feel upset, I would take it personally. And then it created this bigger and bigger problem. But about 18 years into our marriage, we realized, you know what? That doesn't really have anything to do with me. I need to be strong when she's weak. I need to be her strength. I need to support her. I need to encourage her. I need to point her to Jesus. And that's what, that's, that's what we all need. There have been times where, where we felt broken about something or hurting about something. We just called somebody and somebody was there for us. We, we've opened up to our small group and our small group has been there to encourage us. And then a few days later, I get a text from one of them and it just says, hey, how's that situation? Just wanted you to know we haven't forgotten you. We're praying for you. We all need that. So let me ask you these two questions this morning as we get ready to close. Number one, I need to ask you, and you need to answer this in your own head. What are you elevating in your life? Are you elevating the presence of God and the power of God over your adverse circumstances? Or are you adverse? elevating the problem over the presence and power of God. Because I'm telling you, just like we see in Moses' story, whatever is lifted up gains the advantage. Secondly, I need to ask you this. When you get weary, which you will. When you get tired, which you will. When you want to quit, which you will. Who do you have in your life that's holding your arms up like Aaron and her did for Moses? Because we all need those people. And if I ask you that question and you can't answer it, you, you, you've really got to think. I want to encourage you to pray and ask God to show you who those people are in your life, to send those people to you. I tell my kids this all the time. and We've moved around quite a bit in our lives, so they've really had to learn this. When it comes to making friends, don't be passive. Don't sit around and wait for somebody to be a friend to you. Be a friend to other people and bless them and watch how those relationships flourish. And if you're lacking that, man, we, we would encourage you to get plugged into a small group. We try to create cultures and environments where these kinds of relationships naturally flourish. And when you're going through junk, your small group can come around you and say, hey, we got you. We're going to pray for you. You need a meal, we're going to bring you a meal. You need prayer, we're going to be there for you. Show up at the hospital when you, know, when you need prayer or whatever those things are. We need those people because we will get weary and we will want to quit. So Moses and the people of Israel had a stick and the stick was one of many physical objects that God used to remind them that his presence was with them and his power was for them. We don't have a stick today, all right? We don't have a staff. What we have is the practice of worship. The discipline of worship. You know, there are days where I don't feel like worshiping because I feel like sulking. I feel, I feel like I just want to, you know, not get out of bed or I feel like I, I just want to have a pity party or whatever. But when I lift up God in worship, I'm elevating his presence and his power over my problem. And that's not always easy to do. But that's the weapon that we have that we come against God, the junk 
that we're going to face in this life. That's the weapon that we have. I'm telling you right now, you know, uh, 30 minutes ago or so, we were singing songs. Maybe you were just singing songs. I want to challenge you. Take steps forward in your, your spiritual life and become a worshiper. When I'm down here, sometimes I will lift my hands. And as I'm lifting my hands, what I'm picturing is myself lifting up God's presence, God's power over my circumstances. That's all I'm doing. And some of you today, we're going to close in worship. I just challenge you, maybe you've never lifted your hands. Maybe this is the time you just got to try that just as a, as a physical expression of what's happening inside you. And if you don't, that's no big deal. I'm, it's not, it doesn't make your worship any less or any more or whatever. For me, it's a physical expression of what's going on in my heart. Will you stand with me? The, the band is going to lead us in that last song we sang. And I want you to elevate God's presence and power over whatever circumstances you're facing. And I want you to give that to God this morning. Let's do that.